So give it up for this band and tech crew and the talent God has given them. Man, that is so awesome. I'm so grateful for them and a reason to be rattled this morning. Amen. Like Brianna mentioned, at the name of Jesus is where there's power and strength. No demon, darkness, scorpion, evil spirit has any ability to stand at the name of Jesus. Amen? It's true. Unclean spirits, they have to bow their knees, as Brianna said. Disease lose its power at the name of Jesus. A sinner is set free from his guilt and his shame and his condemnation and all that he's carried around at the name of Jesus. Amen? At the name of Jesus Storms are calmed in our life. Amen. He can speak to the wind and say, peace, be still to whatever it is that's making upheaval in your life today. Peace enters a room at the name of Jesus. Mm. When a mom is praying over a child that's sick and they're struggling, the name of Jesus walks peace right into that spot. Mm. Anxiety and depression have no place when the name of Jesus is spoken. I am living proof of that. I have walked in depression. I have walked in anxiety. I know panic attacks. I know all of that very, very well. But I know even better now the name of Jesus who calms all of that. The name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous run into it, and they are safe. Dead hearts are resurrected at the name of Jesus, and we've been seeing that here for weeks at Vertical. I'm not talking about someone physically resurrected from a physical death. I'm talking about something even greater. I'm talking about a heart that has been dead in sin and guilt and shame, far from God, made alive by the name of Jesus, and they are resurrected in their heart. That is the greater miracle. I'll take that over a physical resurrection any day. Mm, 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 mm. We're seeing the, the power of the name of Jesus here at Vertical. We're seeing people with long-term addictions being broken. We're seeing marriages restored. We are seeing individuals own their faith and walk in Christ. We are seeing hearts come alive. We are seeing those who have lived in their grave walk out free. It's happening here. It's also happening through our online ministry. So sometime back, um, Brianna, who leads our social media ministry, got a message from someone who came across our page on Facebook and watched our service. They were actually looking for another church, but found ours and watched the service, messaged her, and she put him in contact with Brad Vandenberg and then Will Probst and me. And we began a conversation with a man named Tim Hilty online. Lives in Eureka Springs, Arkansas. But he started watching Vertical each week through just stumbling across. No, God led him. You see, if you were to sit down and talk with Tim, he would tell you that he walked most of his life in homosexuality. 
And upon hearing a message of grace and truth, Tim was set free from that sin. Amen. Now, we've been typing back and forth, but he got in touch with some local pastors in the area. And last Sunday, those pastors walked Tim down to a creek and they baptized him. We have video of that baptism. Let's watch this. Put your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Well, my brother, it is my pleasure, based upon your testimony, to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Having been buried with Christ, What a glorious God we serve, and I'm so grateful to have been a part, a little part, of what God did in Tim's life. So these are the sounds of dry bones rattling. Amen? This is our message title for us today. I'm excited about coming to the end of our series. This is the epic conclusion to something that God has used in a powerful way right here at Vertical. In the midst of such crazy things going on beyond these walls, God has been doing something powerful within these walls and through these walls to people all across our nation online. Today, we're going to see another demonstration of what happens when God begins to move. Because that always happens when God starts out to do something big, it starts out as something small. He rattles a few things that are first pretty small, but they turn into something big. When the walls of Jericho fell, it started out as just a rattle. When the Red Sea parted, it started out as just a rattle. When the Bones of the man who were thrown in the tomb where Elijah's bones were buried, when they came in contact with him, there was a rattling. Amen? Just like the song said. And when God begins to do something big in a church, in a state, and in a nation, it starts off as a rattle. It starts off as something small. And it's important to recognize that. And so if today, while you are here, you begin to feel something moving inside, let me encourage you to go with it. Don't deny it. Don't walk away from it. Don't push it down. Lean into it. It's God doing something in you. And when he starts, it always leads to something much bigger. It happens when one person gets tired of just walking in the routine, the mundane, and what they've always done. It happens when one person has had enough of the story of the world. It happens when one person has had enough of watching family members be enslaved to addictions, be enslaved to their own selfishness, and enslaved to pain. It happens when one person has had enough of dry living, disconnected living, living segmented, cut off, and disillusioned. 
This is God moving in you if you are reaching a place where you're tired of those things because God begins to do something and all of a sudden you have a desire to be serious with God. All of a sudden a desire to take a step with him. All of a sudden serious about being obedient to God. All of a sudden being ready to see the power of God in your life. When that begins to happen, God is rattling your soul and it's time to listen. Amen? It is. So turn with me today to Ezekiel 37. Let's see what happens when some dry bones rattle. Let me give a little bit of backstory here. Ezekiel, it's a powerful book about God's people, but they're in a, a desperate spot because for some time they have lived in sin. They have tossed aside God's ways, even though they were called to be God's people. And when God called his people through Abraham, and he gave them the law through Moses, he did so with a very specific goal in mind. He said, I want you as my people to be a light to the nations. Now, it wasn't because Israel was better than anybody else. It wasn't because they were more prosperous than anybody else. It wasn't because they were cooler than anybody else. It was simply because God chose them. And he said, you are going to be a light to the nations. You are going to be the example to the world of what it looks like to be my people. Therefore, God gave them the law. And he said, now, walk in my ways. If you'll walk in my ways, holy and set apart not doing what the rest of the world does, but do exactly what I say, obeying every aspect of the law, keeping it. He said, then I will bless you. I will multiply you. And others will come to you to say, I want to know this God. But if you reject my ways, if you walk in your own ways, there will be consequences because God always protects his glory and his name. And when he puts his name on a people and his glory in a people, he says, now I want you to preserve and protect my name because you are now the light to the nations. So when we get into the book of Ezekiel, the people for some time have slowly walked away. It didn't happen overnight, but it happened in time where they began to lose their distinctiveness. Mm. They chose their comfort and their ways over God's ways. They chose another approach to life than God's law. The book of Ezekiel outlines that in many passages. It talks of how people who were leaders should have protected the weak and the widows, but instead they took advantage of them. The book of Ezekiel describes how the people worshiped other gods along with trying to worship the one true God. They no longer kept the Sabbath. There was rampant nudity 
and lewdness and immorality among God's people. There was no respect for the sanctity of marriage. They discounted the faithfulness of God in the picture that marriage was to be, and adultery and divorce became the norm. Homosexuality, incest, and perversion dominated the culture, even among God's people. Bribes, extortion, and cheating began to be the way of exchange. They dismissed the fixed objective law of God for their own pleasures and pursuits. Truth became relative. Truth began to be whatever I say is truth, whatever you say is truth, whatever they say is truth, instead of saying God alone has truth and his truth is fixed. It doesn't change by culture. It doesn't change by opinion. It doesn't change for your circumstances. It doesn't change for your ideas. It doesn't change for your comfort. It doesn't change for your pleasure. God's law is God's truth, and there's a way you walk in it, and that is what he called his people to. And they had tossed all of that aside and simply said, well, I just don't feel like God would require that of us. I just don't feel like that's the way to walk. Whenever you've changed feel for faith, you're headed down a bad path. They began sacrificing their children to the gods that had come in to their own people. Giving up their children for their own pleasure and peace and attempts to appease the gods. They even created idols, and Ezekiel words it in this way. He says, you created idols that you set in front of in order to find life. Is there anything that we set in front of hoping it will bring us some life today? Hello, TV, Netflix, internet, computer, phone, whatever you want to put in the place of it. There was a spirit of rebellion in the land as well. People, children lashed out against their parents. One generation lashed out against another generation. There began to be a a saying, a proverb, that began to be popular in the day that said, the parents have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. Stay with me because I know that sounds weird. But here's what they were in effect saying. They said, this proverb is true for us. We have anger in our life. Our teeth are set on edge. That's what that picture means. We are angry today because of our parents. Our parents ate sour grapes and it set our teeth on edge. They did some things that were wrong and boy, it's what's making us bad today. We have a reason to excuse what we're doing today because of what they did back then. Hello, does anybody hear what I'm saying today? There was a generation this day that they were fixated more on blaming everybody else and justifying their wrong that they were doing in the day. You cannot justify your wrong based on someone else's wrong. And God said in Ezekiel, he said, look, you're not going to use that proverb anymore because here's the truth. Your parents belong to me and you belong to me. And here's the truth that covered both of you. The soul that sins, it shall die. 
Don't go blaming them for what you're doing today and justifying it. They're responsible for them. You're responsible for you. Mm. Whoo. This is all that's going on in, in the land and Israel and the people of God. And as bad as all that is, it got even worse in the areas of ministry. Mm. Prophets and priests in the day, they were taking advantage of the poor. They were taking their money. They were guilting and shaming them and wanting money for themselves and collecting and padding their own bank accounts at the expense of other people. And Ezekiel even clearly says, there are prophets who claim to speak in the name of the Lord when he hadn't spoken to them at all. It reads like current day headlines, doesn't it? It's the book of Ezekiel I'm talking about. Ezekiel said, there are, there are prophets who are speaking not from the spirit of God, but from their own spirit. It's corrupt. It's backwards. It's wrong. And at the root of all of it, the people of God had given up their distinctiveness, their uniqueness, walking in holiness. And they said, we want to be like them. We want to take this soft approach. We want to be like them. Maybe they'll like us. Maybe we'll like them. Can't we all just get along? And God said, no, you can't. I've called you to be separate and set apart. What are you thinking? And as a result of all of this, as I said, God guards his glory and his name. And so God set into motion some things that were going to happen to the people of Israel. It was going to be painful and difficult, but it was going to be what they needed to bring them back into repentance and change and for God to guard the glory of his name. And so what God did, he allowed a foreign nation to come in and invade them. Another people came in because they had let down their distinctiveness and this other group came in the Babylonians, and they invaded the land, infiltrated the land, and they took God's people, put them in chains, and walked them out of their land. He took them away from their own place that was theirs, that had been given to them by promise, that they had been called to walk in by faith and obedience, and they didn't. And God said, it breaks my heart, but my people are going to have to suffer for a time. They're going to have to go through a season of difficulty before they will repent and I can do something new. So when we get to Ezekiel 37, which is the passage we're about to get into, it's a difficult, dark time. The beauty is... God always has a remnant. He has a small group of people. Even though the larger group of his own people may be walking in disobedience and rejection and their own feelings and all this stuff, God has a remnant, a small group of people that he talks to, that he calls that he challenges. 
Ezekiel is in the remnant. And at a time of utmost despair, God speaks to Ezekiel to give him some hope. And this is where our passage begins today. Ezekiel 37, verse 1. Ezekiel's writing. The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of a valley, and it was full of bones. God moves in Ezekiel's life on a day when he's seeking him, and God takes him in the spirit. He moves him to have this vision, and he takes Ezekiel, and he shows him something. God shows him a valley, a vast, open, dry, barren valley, and it is full of bones. Bones of a nation. Bones that should have been together, should have been assembled, should have been covered, should have been people, should have been alive. Verse 2 says that then he caused me to pass by them all around, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and indeed, they were very dry. This means death had occurred some time back. The vultures had come in. There wasn't anything left on the bones. It was dry. And God is moving Ezekiel amongst all the bones. The human body has some 200 plus bones. You just imagine a nation Let's say it was 2 million people times 200 plus bones. That's a lot of bones scattered in this valley. And God is moving Ezekiel through him. He wants them to take it all in. Ezekiel, I want you to see what's happening here. I don't want you to just see a panoramic picture. I don't want, to, I don't want you to just see it from the 10,000 foot view. I want you to see it up close. And he takes them by all of these bones. Ezekiel's trying to process all of this. He's trying to imagine what this is a picture of. Ezekiel's not quite sure yet. And then verse 3, God speaks. He says, And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? In other words, Ezekiel, do they have the power to stand up on their own? Do they have anything within them that can give them life? Do they have what they need to cause themselves to come alive again? And Ezekiel, very wise, part of the remnant says, I don't know. <laughs> you know. Good answer, Ezekiel. Only God knows the answer to that question. Can the impossible happen? Can bones live? The logical answer is no. If a bone is laying out in a desert, it's because there's death. And bones just don't spring forth life. They're dead. So Ezekiel says, I, 
I don't have a clue because as far as my mind knows, no, there's no way. Have you ever had a situation in your life that to you looked absolutely, completely impossible? Maybe it's in your own life and your own life is segmented and disjointed and it's been dry and barren for a long time and there's death and you can't imagine how God could reassemble what has been disconnected, how God could breathe life into what is so filled with death. Maybe it's you personally, maybe it's in a marriage, maybe it's in a home, maybe it's with your kids, maybe it's in our nation, hello, where we look out and it just seems like there is death and dryness and despair and how in the world can this ever get solved? Anybody with me this morning? It's crazy. And Ezekiel's looking at all of this and God says, can they live? Ezekiel says, Lord, only you know, verse four. Again, he spoke to me and he said, prophesy to these bones and say to them, oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. That's crazy talk. Preaching to bones? If you've been around the church for some time, you recognize the story. You heard the song earlier. You get it. But you just imagine the first time you're hearing Preach hope and vision and life to what is dead. It just seems illogical, impossible, unnatural. You can't just talk to bones and they come together. They would need some assistance. They would need some vitality. They would need something to happen. And God says, you know what? That's because you're trying to evaluate this in your eyes. In my eyes, when I speak, I create life just by my words. So Ezekiel, I'm telling you, I want you to prophesy. It's a word that means to speak hope to, give vision to, paint a picture of the future to, tell them what God can do in their life, even though they're just dry, dead, disconnected bones. That gives me some hope. It gives me some real hope to know that God can take what's disconnected, in despair, and full of death, and just by speaking can cause them to live again. Hello? That's true. It's good stuff. And God says, this is what I want you to do. I don't want you to, I don't want you to hide my word. I don't want you to deny my word. I want you to speak. And I'm sure Ezekiel was thinking, all right, what do I say? Do I tell them some funny bone jokes? What do I do to try to inspire them? What do I do to help them? What do I say? God says, here it is, verse five. Thus says the Lord God to these bones. Here's what you say. Surely I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. I want you to speak to them and say, God's gonna work in your life. You're gonna live. I know you can't imagine it. I know it seems impossible. I know you're disconnected. I know you're filled with despair. But God says, live to you. Mm. Ezekiel's processing all this. Ezekiel's trying to take all this in. That's good news, though, for those that are in the midst of despair and death. It's good news to us today. Because sometimes we might think, you know, I'm at a very, very dark spot right now and I don't see how in the world things can change listen your pain is not 
the end of your story. Your darkness is not the end of your story. Your despair that you're feeling is not the end of your story because God is always faithful to his people, to his name, and to his glory. So he says, Ezekiel, I want you to speak to these bones. I want you to preach to them. I want you to, I want you to give them vision and hope and life. Call them to live. Call them to come out. Verse 6, God says, here's what I'm going to do. I will put sinews on you, in other words, the connecting tissues, and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. God said, I'm going to take what now is disconnected and bring it together. It's what he does in our life. When you come to that place in your life, you realize, I can't do this, God. I desperately need you. He says, great. Now I'm going to do a work. I'm going to take what's disconnected in your life, and I'm going to bring it together. And I'm going to cover your guilt. I'm going to cover your shame. I'm going to cover all that's happened in your life. And I'm going to restore life to you. You're going to feel again. You're going to sense again. You're going to relate again. And the greatest thing of all is that you are going to know that I am the Lord. That's the biggest thing God said to them. So verse 7, Ezekiel said, so I prophesied as I was commanded. That's a great verse. God said, do something, and I did it. I didn't question, I didn't delay, I didn't run away, I didn't say, this is crazy talk, I don't understand it, this is awkward, this is weird. He just did it. And he said, and as I prophesied, while I was doing the thing that God called me to do, something happened. There was a noise, and suddenly, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to bone. They began to move. All of these millions of bones there in this open valley, Ezekiel's preaching his heart out to them, telling them what God said, live bones, nation live, come to life. And all of a sudden, there's a rattle across the valley floor. And he looks and all these bones are starting to move. They're starting to vibrate. They're starting to shake. They're starting to rattle. And they're starting to come together. Because one man did what God called him to do. It started off with just some small movements. It started off with some rattling. That's why I say to you, if God starts something in you, even today, if all of a sudden you feel a desire waking up in you that you haven't felt in a long time, if all of a sudden you have this interest inside to seek after the Lord, to sing out to the Lord, to pray to the Lord, to seek him in his word, to turn from your sin. I don't care how small it is. Pay attention to it. Act on it because there is no insignificant thing with God. And the big things he does start as small things. So when he begins to rattle you, follow it up. Do what he said. For Ezekiel, it landed into something big. Don't ever doubt God because of small things. Don't despise the small things. Big battles are won 
when small rattles are obeyed. It's the way God works. Verse 8. Ezekiel says, Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. Now, if millions of bones in a valley weren't creepy enough, if rattling wasn't creepy enough, if seeing them all start to move together, form up together, form into bodies, sinews disconnect them all together, and skin come on them together, if that wasn't creepy enough, now you've got a nation all standing there as zombies. They have no life in them. They're just there. Millions just there. And Ezekiel's all alone. It's creepy. It's weird. It's interesting. They had all of the right structure, but they had no life. They had all of the right parts, but they had no life. They had the ability to go through the motions, but they had no life. They actually kind of looked cool, but they had no life. How many churches are gathered today and they have a form that looks good. They're going through the motions. They look good on the outside, but on the inside, there is no life. Ooh, man. Do you hear me this morning? Do you see what I'm saying? You see, he's talking about a body. He's talking about lots of bodies. And in our nation alone today, there are lots of local bodies gathered together worshiping this morning. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for every one of them. And I'm grateful that we're not all meeting together in the same place. I'm okay with the fact that there's a Methodist church, an Assembly of God church, and a Baptist church, and vertical church. That's really not any of those. I'm okay with different variations. I'm okay with a cowboy church having country music. I'm okay with a Presbyterian church singing some hymns this morning, very liturgical style. But I'm also okay with, with vertical church style. It's okay to have multiple versions of the body of Christ active and present today in our world. But God forbid that there be any bodies, local bodies, that appear to have all the right form, that appear to have all the right shape, that have all the necessary ingredients, that look like they should be alive, but they have no spirit of life within them. God was painting a bright picture here for Ezekiel, a message that has echoed down through the ages today. And see, what was about to happen here is that God was about to speak breath and life into these bones and these bodies now. And stay with me on this. God was not going to breathe life in them to take them back to some place they had been before. You see, sometimes we think about our own lives and God working in us, and we think what that might look like, and often, if you're like me, because I'm, I'm telling on myself here, sometimes I think if God's going to do something fresh or new in me, I think, well, when he does it, it'll look like that time back in 1997. It'll look like that time back in 2004. It'll look like that time back in 1982. No, God is not interested in taking you backwards. When God wants to do something new, he's going to move you forward. He's going to move you forward in faith. And he's going to do something. He's going to call you to something you haven't been before. 
that you haven't experienced before. And so if you want to be a, a, a follower of Jesus Christ, you've got to say, God, whatever you have for me, I'll go there with you. It may not look like 2003, 1987, or 1997. I don't really want to go back to any of that anyway. I want to go forward to what you have for me next. Whatever that looks like, I want to go there. Amen? And that's what was about to happen here. He was about to breathe life into these bones and these bodies, but he wasn't going to take them back to a place they hadn't been before. He was going to take them to a brand new place because this new place, he said, you're going to go to this new place and you're going to know that I am the Lord. Ooh, you're going to know something you haven't known before. Let's not get complacent with where we are. Let's not get stuck in trying to go back to the past. Let's look to the future and to God and say, where do you want to take me? I'll go there. Amen? Verse 9. Also, he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man. And say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. It just gets weirder, doesn't it? This valley of bodies is all standing there, and God says, Now I want you to preach to the wind. Like, I can't even see the wind. I don't know where it is. Is it over there? Where, where is it? And God says, I want you to prophesy to it. It'll come from the four places, the winds, they'll come, but you need to speak life. You are to call these to live. And now call for the spirit to fill them. You see, that's essential for people of faith. You and I are not called to just go through the motions with no life. You're not called to get into a routine People are not called to be saved and baptized only to get up and just be robots walking through life. I obey, I do God's will. Hey, he's called you to fresh living that obeys by faith and says, God, you're at work in me. I will follow you. Let's go. Fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your breath. Fill me with your power. I want to be passionate, sold out, all in. Let's go alive. That's what God was calling him to. But God said, Ezekiel, you're going to have to call for the breath to come. You're going to have to call for the spirit to come. If we want to see some life happen in churches today, we've got to be ready to breathe in the spirit when he breathes on us. And he wants to breathe something new into you. Don't say, I don't know about that. I don't know if I want to do that. I'll make myself the judge of whether I want to walk forward with him. Don't do that. That's what the children of Israel had done. They chose how they would walk. And it landed them in a bad place. So Ezekiel says, okay, I'll call for the Spirit to come. You know, we as people of God are called to be the most vibrant, alive people on the planet. We're not called to be boring. We're not called to be lifeless. We're not called to be fearful. We're not called to be followers of the world. We're called to be leaders. We're called to be influencers. We are the light of the world. We are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. We are the ones who say, here is the way, walk in it. I'm not ashamed of that. 
I won't deny it. I won't turn away from it. I'll walk in it. And I'll walk in the power of your spirit, God, keeping me alive. That's why I love for Sunday morning to be the most vibrant experience you're going to have all week. All that happens here is by God's power, but it's by our praying and preparation that we might be the most alive, passionate, spirit-filled people that anybody knows. Amen? Amen. So Ezekiel's getting quite a challenge here. Verse 10. So I prophesied as he commanded, and breath came into them, and they lived, and they stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. They came alive, and they stood up. They came alive, and they became an army. Bones to bodies, bodies to breath, and breath made them an army. Verse 11, then he said to me, son of man, these bones, in case you didn't know, Ezekiel, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say, our bones are cut off, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. If you want a description and a recipe for death in your life, it's right there. If you get to the place where you start saying in your life, well, we're just cut off from God right now. All my hope is lost. We're just cut off. I don't know where God is. I don't know when he's going to work. I don't know what's going on. I just don't know. I mean, I'm really messed up. I just, I just don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Well, I do know what you're telling me. You're telling me you're walking in death. You're because you have denied the presence of God in your life. You've denied that he's at work, that he's present, that he's powerful. You've denied and walked in your own ways. You have gotten to the place where they got. Our bones are dry. God, I'm just so dry all the time. I'm just barren. I just can't do anything. I'm pitiful, weak, and I just don't know. My hope is cut off. I don't have any hope whatsoever. And we, you know, the whole church, we're just all cut off. You talk in despair and death to yourself. That's what got you into a valley of dry bones, Ezekiel said. And God says, I've come to fix the situation. Verse 12, therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. I'm going to do something new, bones. I'm going to do something new in your life. Verse 13, then, then you shall know that I am the Lord. When I have opened your graves, oh, my people, and brought you up from your graves. Sure, you've been in some desperate places. Sure, you've walked in death. Yes, your life might be a wreck. But now, I'm about to do something new. I'm about to breathe into you. Verse 14, we're going to finish here with this. God says, I will put my spirit in you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land, and then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, says the Lord. God's working today. In the midst of what looks like chaos, God is doing a rattling today. He is shaking the world And just like the nation of Israel, the church is being shaken and called to new life today. The church has never been called to blend in, 
look like or walk in the ways of the world. We're not to be like them, look like them, talk like them, sing like them, drink like them, do what they do. That's not what you and I are called to. And if we lose our distinctiveness, if we lose our uniqueness, if we lose the holiness that we have been called to in Jesus Christ, I fear we will be just like these bones in a valley filled with despair. We live in a nation today that has been invaded and taken captive by another narrative. It's guided by principalities and powers that are at work today to destroy the church, to destroy Christian families, and to take away your confidence as a follower of Jesus Christ. There is a narrative that the world celebrates today. It's a narrative that you and I must recognize and run from. Let me spell it out for you. There's a narrative today that says there is no God. I don't want to hear talk about your God, your Jesus, or your church. The world's narrative says we are on our own, and we are the pinnacle of all life. We are God, is the world's narrative. The world's narrative says there is no objective truth. Stop telling us things are black and white, the world says. Stop telling us there's only one way. Stop telling us that marriage is one man and one woman. Stop telling us that men and women can't be homosexual. Stop telling us all those things the world would say because their narrative says there is no God and there is no way of God. The narrative of the world says truth is relative to my pleasure, my pursuits, and my own passions. The narrative of the world says that murdering children is acceptable, that perversion is the new norm, that government is the place of dependence, that we look there for our hope. The narrative of the world says lying Cheating, deception, bribery, and extortion are acceptable. The narrative of the world says tolerance is not just needed, it is demanded. And not just tolerance, but that sin should be celebrated. The narrative of the world says, I want you to accept me and I want you to celebrate me. And if not, I will persecute you. That's the narrative of the world. The narrative of the world calls for conformity with threat. This is the foreign nation narrative that has entered our land, that has infiltrated not just our nation, but I'm afraid the church. The church in 2020 in America has lost its uniqueness We've become little more than maybe, hopefully, a weekend, two-hour gig. The church has lost its uniqueness and its power. The church has lost its influence. The church has left holiness behind. The church has become soft and weak. 
The church has become a segmented, weakened experience that looks nothing like the rest of life. It makes Sunday look different than reality. And we're never called to a separate experience. We're called to an experience that blends into the rest of our life. I live out my faith in my marriage, in my home, in my relationships, in my finances, in my walk, in my view of government, in my view of politics. Faith follows and determines all of it. The, the world's or the church has bought the narrative that I can believe what I want to believe. I will do what I want to do. That just like the world says, I'll choose this lifestyle. I'll choose how I have been made. I'll choose what my gender is. The church has bought a very similar lie and narrative that says, I'll choose what I want to believe. I'll choose what parts of scripture I want to follow. I'll choose how much faith I'll have in my life. I'll choose, I'll choose, I'll choose. That is the world's narrative. And I'm afraid it has crept into the church today. The church has believed the narrative that says, sit silent, don't speak out, be quiet, blend in, try to love everybody, don't make waves. Don't cause division. You can't follow Jesus and there not be division. There must be. There must be a division between how you used to live and how you'll choose to live. The church has become afraid and the church has become comfortable. We've become the tail instead of the head. We've become the darkness instead of the light. And God is broken to look out and see a valley of dry bones. If that were the end of the story, we would be in a dark place today. But I'm glad that just as God spoke through Ezekiel to a valley of bones, God is speaking today to his church. He has come today to say to you and me, I don't know where you are right now. That's what I'm saying. God knows. I don't know what you're going through, what places of dryness in your life you're walking into, what places of despair you're in the midst of. I don't know what you're going through right now, but God says to you, in your guilt, in your shame, in your anxiety, in your depression, in your rejection, in your condemnation, in all your uncertainty, God is saying to you, I have come to say, live Come alive. Be the church. Be what he's called you to be. Be the redeemed people. Look like the holy people he's called you to be. Be the light of the world. Be ambassadors for me. Live. Stop living half-lives. Live. Stop being obsessed with yourself. Live. Get up out of the dirt. Get up off the dust. Stand up. Be filled with the breath of God and live. Amen. That's what he's called us to today. I love what it says in Isaiah 60, verses 1 and 2. Arise, shine, for the light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. But 
the Lord will arise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. And in verse 22, God says, a little one shall become a thousand and a small one, a strong nation. I, the Lord, will hasten it in its time. I'm not afraid that we are just Ovilla and Vertical Church in Ovilla because God can take little and do big. When he starts a rattle, he's going into battle and he's calling to us today, will you be rattled? He's calling you to life. He's calling you to to take in the peace you have with him. He's calling you to the passion he's called you to in him. He's calling you to shake off that other stuff that you've been carrying around, all your weight and your guilt and all your fear and all your half-life habits and live. Amen. Amen. Bow your heads with me. As we pray today, I hope you'll hear God speaking to you. If he's rattling your cage this morning, lean into it. Do what he says. Do what he's called you to. Live today. Father, I thank you that in the midst of our despair and darkness and disconnected despair, you called us to live. You sent your son, Jesus, that we might have hope, that we might walk up into life, that we might know you, that we might be free from our past, that we might be a people who declare your praises. And God, I thank you that you do that even with the smallest group, and I thank you that you do that with individuals. So this morning, Father, I know you're speaking to us. I know your word is active and your spirit is alive. May we respond in the power of that spirit. May we be rattled, forever changed. And as the church, stand up in confidence, stand up in boldness, and declare your praises. May we become an army that declares truth that moves in your name together. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah, amen. Amen. Yeah, amen. Hey, today is a special day. You know some backpacks up here. We're going to pray for children going back to school. If you have some backpacks, you want to bring them up here. This is a great time. If you've come in since we started our service, come bring them up here. We're going to do something today. We're going to put a tag on your backpack that says, I have been prayed for by Vertical Church. Kids, y'all come on in. Moms and dads, keep an eye out for your kids. They're going to come in here and they're going to come find you. Man, what a year for school. So many people going back in different versions than they thought this year. There are people who are going back into public school. There are people who are going back into public school but distance learning from home. There are people going into private school, people going into Christian schools. There are people who are are going into homeschooling and they are all entering a new year with some uncertainty. And I would venture to say it's not the kids as much as it is mom and dad. Amen? Trying to figure this whole thing out and what does this look like? What's going to be best? And how does this all work? And these beautiful faces right here need to know that they've been prayed for. And moms and dads need to know that they've been prayed for today. So by them putting their backpacks here, we're going to pray for the kids and let all these backpacks represent them. And I'm excited that they're gonna go back into school 
with a reminder that says, I have been prayed for by Vertical Church. Amen? So, kids are finding all their way here. We got a few more that are all perfect. Thank you, sir. And thank you, ma'am. Love that. Good job. So, if you would do this with me, would you stand with your family? Will everyone here stand? If you are a mom and dad or a dad or a mom alone this morning, either way, and you've got kids with you, put your arms around them, huddle up close, because we're about to pray a prayer of blessing over them. And we've got backpacks up here from kids going into K-4. We've got backpacks from kids going into college up here. We're about to all go back into a new place, a new time. But God is calling his people for this to be a time of vision. Don't let this be a year of despair. See it as a year of vision, of new things that God's going to do. It doesn't look like the past. Of course not. That's what God does. He does new things. See it with vision and hope, not anger and frustration. Amen? Bow your heads and let's pray for these kids. Father, I thank you for families in this church. I thank you that, as you've promised, children are a heritage that comes from you. It's evidence and promise that you are still at work. I thank you for these children because many of them have put their faith in you already. They're walking in your name. They're living out faith. And they're going into a new school year with new situations. I pray you'll bless them from the sole of their feet to the top of their head, that they would know you are with them, that you will remind them how deeply they are loved by you. And I pray for parents this morning as they face a very different year. I pray you will give them vision for something fresh and new, for something new that a mom will get to experience with her children, a dad with his family as he leads. And I pray that faith will reign over fear. I pray that love will reign over uncertainty. I pray that vision will reign over any darkness that might attempt to come their way. And I pray for certainty in these parents' hearts that they'll know exactly what they're doing to be the thing you've called them to. So we ask your blessings upon them, and we can't wait to hear what the school year is going to be like because we know we walk forward into it with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We're not finished here today. we got one more thing we're going to do because we've been baptizing here at Vertical for a while, and we're going to baptize again today. We've determined we're going to baptize every week, and I'm praying it'll be all the way to the end of the year. Right now, I've got baptism scheduled up to the middle of September. So if today you have sat through this time and God has begun to rattle you and you say, I need to do this, I haven't ever been baptized, but I've put my faith in Jesus Christ, or I was baptized when I was a child. I don't remember it. God's worked in me since then, and I need a a new, fresh experience. Come see me, because some of that's been happening here these weeks. People have been owning their faith, walking forward, and experiencing new life. This morning, I want you to meet Charity Mathers. She's going to come on up. Charity came to me. Yeah, give Charity a hand. Charity came to me a couple of weeks back. And, uh, and she said that 
she wanted to be baptized, that she had never been baptized, but that she's put her faith in Jesus Christ and is making him Lord of her life. Amen. And what a great place. You see all these faces out here? There's no one here that would say, well, I'm better than her. I've not sinned near as much, right? Everybody, hello. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And this is a new experience for her, and she's going to experience baptism because it's a beautiful picture of what Jesus did. He was buried, and he rose again on the third day. And he said that whoever believes in me, they will experience that same kind of life. Their past will be buried no more, condemnation, guilt, shame, rejection, but they'll be raised to new life, resurrected into hope and peace and joy and life in him. So she heard the voice that said, live, live, live in me, live in peace. So she's come today and she's going to need your prayers like everybody else does. So when we're finished today, she's, she's kind of shy and she doesn't want to make a big scene. But I promise you, it would encourage her greatly if you came and let her know, I'm praying for you. Amen? All right, Terry, let's do this. Yeah. Here we go. Is it warm? Yeah. Oh, good. All right. Good, good, good. That's not bad. Charity, I'm excited for you. I'm excited for you being a part of a family of believers who believes, and we're praying for you. I'm excited for Jesus Christ in your life and what he's done to you and in you and for you. I baptize you now as my sister in Christ. You're buried with him in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life.